Last year, over $3.5 trillion was spent on health care in the United States, of which around $300 billion was spent on mental health. Most of it defensive, meaning reactive, dealing with issues, therapy, medication, psychiatric, and so on. How much time and money do we spend on our spiritual health care? And primarily in the preventive and preemptive sort. Not nearly close to what we spend on our bodies. That's what we're going to be speaking about. Giving yourself spiritual health care. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center, MeaningfulLife.com. And we will be speaking about giving yourself spiritual health care. This program is dedicated by Aurora Zecher, in honor of Eden, Hallel, Miriam, Bat, Ora, Tamima. Over three and a half trillion, yes, trillion dollars, is spent annually in the United States on health care, of which close to $300 billion is on mental health. That includes therapy and every form of psychological intervention, medication. And this is the statistics we're aware of. How much don't we know? how many concerns and issues that people may not even document or report. What I want to speak about is perhaps one of the most vital topics in our lives. We spend far, far more in taking care of our bodies. And when I say mental health, you say it's not a body, it's a psychological thing, Yeah, but a lot of it is about reacting. People deal with depression, deal with loss, with trauma, relationships, abuse. But how much time and how much money do we spend on preventive and preemptive spiritual health care? Which means taking care of our souls. Now the obvious reason is because the body is very blatantly and tangibly experienced on a sensory level. You wake up in the morning, you feel hungry, you feel thirsty, you feel pain, you don't feel pain. And all of that is very directly and glaringly in our eyes. So it's very, of course, we're going to react to it. Things that are more, we'll call psychic, in the psychic world, which means more ethereal, more soulful, are not quite as obvious so that we can ignore. If a person has, for instance, anxiety, so unless the anxiety is prohibiting and limiting your life in some way, we go on. How many of us feel the consequences of not living a meaningful or purposeful life? 
because the consequences are not felt immediately. You don't eat for a day, or you have a stomachache, or you have a headache, or you have other issues. These are most likely something that's going to be pretty immediate or short-term. How many things are happening in our lives that right now we're not even aware of what's accumulating? And I'm going to use one example, which we'll elaborate upon. And that is, let's talk about the fragmentation of our lives. It doesn't sound like much, but think of it this way. If you were to list everything you did today or yesterday, from the moment you woke up until the moment you went to sleep, you'll come up with around 100 items. And I'm talking about everything. You wake up, you press the snooze button, you get up, you do your regimen, maybe exercise, you shower, breakfast, coffee, commute, or in today's uh, environment, pandemic environment, COVID-19 environment, perhaps the schedule's somewhat different. You do some work, you communicate, you're online, you text, you read something, you read a newspaper, you read a book. I mean, it's, the list goes on throughout the day, through the evening. How many of these things, once you listed them, are connected with each other? You know, create a thread. Tying your shoelaces has really nothing to do with eating lunch, for instance. And you'll find a few maybe important things that day were done, many things that were more superficial or more, we'll call it, um, means to an end. Obviously, you get dressed is part of it, but it doesn't have much to do with other things that in your life. So you could say, so what? That seems quite normal. Yes, but if you think about it, and it starts accumulating day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and decade after decade, and year after year, you have millions of little fragments that are not connected to each other. It takes a toll, because we human beings crave and thrive on unity, on connecting things. We like to organize. Clutter is disruptive to us. Of course, everybody has their standard for what means organization, but even those that others would consider disorganized in their own mind, they think they're organized. I remember someone sitting, their desk was filled with paper all the way to the top. I said, how could you, how could you function this way? He says, I could find anything I need. I said, I mentioned something. He pulls out a paper, like deep in one of those piles. He had to maneuver, make sure that the pile didn't fall over. Everybody has their so-called order. Some are really organized. But when, when there's chaos, when you come into your home, into your office, and everything is, someone just cluttered everything everywhere. Everything's been, been thrown apart. It's disturbing. It's a violation even. So psychologically, you look at children even. You give them games to play, objects of different shapes and sizes. You see, they naturally gravitate to fit them into the right spots. Because we crave to order. We thrive on order. So those fragmentation, most of us will not recognize fragmentation building up. But then over the years, you start asking yourself, where am I headed? Where's my focus in my life? And that's a perfect example of something that is not body care. It's not in the category of health care or even mental health in a way. 
it is in the general category of mental health, but we usually address it, as I said, after the fact. What we're talking about here is how to, just as you wake up in the morning and you shower, you take care of your body, whether it's through brushing your teeth, other hygiene, and how what your diet, your exercises, your soul is as, if not more important, than your body. And despite the fact that it's invisible, and despite the fact that you don't tangibly feel all its impact, and sometimes only after time, I would submit that having a healthy soul creates far more healthy and happy life than having a healthy body. That's not dismissing the body. Don't get me wrong. It's, com- it's a combination and fusion of the two. The focus, my focus here, is because body care and health care is something that is most obvious to many people, to most people, to all people. So you don't need me to elaborate on that. What we do need to elaborate is on some things that are less obvious. And it begins from the youngest of ages. We shouldn't just be teaching our children how to keep clean, wash themselves, wash their hands, shower, bathe. As I said, brush your teeth, take care of yourself in other, all other ways. We should also be teaching them simultaneously spiritual health care, spiritual self-care from the youngest of age. You know, say one second, children are, are too, too young to understand that. But I'm not talking about sitting in a philosophy class or even a psychology class. We're talking about behaviors, regimens, routines, patterns, healthy ones, to incorporate so as they grow older, it becomes second nature, like just like brushing your teeth is second nature. And to do so, we need to recognize and step back for a moment and not just be stimulated or even overstimulated by the physical and the, and the material around us and recognize right inside of you, just like your heart is beating, your soul is beating. And your soul, like any part of yourself, needs nurturing and cultivating and care and love. And when you give your soul love and this care, the soul then glows, it shines and gives you back a lot more. Just as when you take care of your body, your body takes care of you. When the vehicle is in good shape, you can walk properly, good posture, good hygiene, and other things that make you feel robust, energetic. With the soul, it's even more so because it affects your moods, it affects your attitudes, it affects your relationships. So these are all more sublime and less tangible, as I noted, but they are actually the inner DNA, we call it the spiritual DNA, of what makes you function well. Your body can be in perfect shape, but you can be in a terrible mood. You can be not motivated. You could be driven by fear, insecurity, and other forces in your life. As a matter of fact, I can't tell you how many people I've met who they said, they said because of my anxiety and because of my inner, inner demons, that's exactly why I built a strong body. It gives me some sense of control and it's good to do that because in many ways that releases tension, 
people who run, who exercise in different ways on an ongoing basis. So definitely help, helpful, but at the same time, you want to also be able to work on the inner workings, not just on the vehicle, which we'll call the body of the vehicle, but what's driving that vehicle. Because if you feel down or in any way um, withdrawn, fearful, and I'm talking about the whole spectrum, from one extreme to the next, to extreme forms of debilitation, psychological, emotional, spiritual, or milder forms, or it may vary, that has equal, if not more, impact on who we are. So step number one, get to know your soul. Get to know yourself. What is your soul like? Your body, as I said, is more obvious. You look in the mirror, you go to a doctor, you go to a hygienist, you go to a physical therapist, you do different exercises, you learn about yourself, where your strengths are, where you need to strengthen. Everybody has their profile. Yeah, of course, there are people who neglect their bodies as well, but I'm talking now assuming that someone doesn't. But what does your soul look like? If there's any pain, God forbid, or any injury. So we have today, we have x-rays, we have CAT scans, different forms of methods to get a picture, a snapshot of what your body is like, your skeleton, your neurological system, your circulatory system. Are there blockages? Are there other factors that in some way are impeding the natural flow of what we call health? But what about the soul? So if we don't even know what the soul is and its, and its parts, because the soul is made of parts, it's just not physical parts, it's spiritual parts, it's how can you even take care of it? Where are your strengths? Where are your weaknesses? So let me give you a time-tested, we're talking th thousands of years old, x-ray of your soul. This is based on the Kabbalistic mystical teachings, and you may have heard about it, called the Sfirot. These are the ten divine attributes which evolve into the ten human attributes and faculties, conscious ones, and then we'll talk about some of the superconscious ones. Those of you familiar with my book, The Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer, so there I focused on the seven times seven, 49 emotional, seven out of the 10. But in the full spectrum, the full structure is 10. Three cognitive, three emotional, and four behavioral. All faculties that are not tangible, you can't see them, but they're impacting every aspect and every move of your life. So not to sound morbid, but if a corpse, a body without a soul, does not have the faculties, it only has the body part, it only has the vehicle. But the personality, the characteristics, break into the three cognitive, conceiving of an idea, developing it, and coming to a conclusion where you bond with it, where you connect with it, not just a theory, but it becomes something that you really relate to. The three emotional are love, discipline, and compassion, or empathy. And the four behavioral, which are also faculties, I call them behavioral because they're less about the, the emotion called love, more related to something that we act upon. And those are ambition or determination, 
humility yielding. The third is bonding. And the fourth is dignity. Type of feeling of self-esteem. And these are ten faculties that live with you your entire life. Some of them are fully developed. Well, fully developed is a strong word. Some of them are more developed, some are less developed. Some we're aware of more, some are not. Just to give a simple example. Ask yourself, are you a person who is considered to be more of a giver? Or are you more of a disciplined? If someone asks you for something, you don't just gush. You're more deliberate, more discernment. You're more of the disciplinarian. Let's say in creating a budget, one will be more generous and one is more disciplinary. Not suggest one is better than the other. Actually, you need both. Just like you need gas, you need brakes. If there's just giving, giving, giving without any type of uh, channeling it or guiding it or some limit, it can, be, it can destroy a field. Water, raindrops have to come down in drops. If they come down gushing, they'll flood and destroy the field just as a drought will. So rain is a perfect example where you have a combination of giving. It's rain, but it comes down in drops. It's measured according to, that can, to the earth, that it can be absorbed, and then the next drop falls. So ask yourself that. Are you more of a chesed, more of a, the loving type? Or you're more careful before you give? If extreme of one or the other is not good balance. And the same thing with all the ten. Each one of us has different strengths. Some people are great at conceiving ideas, but they're not good at fleshing it out and developing it into a workable plan. Others the opposite way. They're good, at, they're good at developing, but they're not good at give me the idea and they develop it well. And you go through the list that I, that I enumerated. Nobody's 100% in all of them. The question is, where are your strengths and where are your weaknesses? And then, of course, the next question is, how, what's your potential like? Just as it is, let's go back to the body, the vehicle. When you exercise... Let's say you want to condition yourself to run a marathon, 26-mile marathon. You have to work on that. Your muscles and your body have the capacity, perhaps, each person according to their makeup and their history and, baby and, and background and even race, different skills, natural, but you still have to condition it. And when you do, what's happening? You're actualizing the potential. You work out a muscle, you suddenly realize, today I could throw a stone 100 feet, and in a few months from now I can throw it 500 feet. What changed? Same muscle, you're not using any device, but you've conditioned it, you've worked it out, and now the muscle is delivering more power. It's like anything, you're tapping its energy by flexing the muscles and exercising them and accessing and releasing more of their potential. The same thing with our minds. We all begin with a certain way. You're born with a certain genetic makeup. But through effort and exertion and struggling with ideas, there are people with less, less, less brain power, but more exertion, and they can surpass even someone who is, as I said, genetically more intelligent than them. And the same thing is with love. It's yet another muscle. These are not physical muscles, they're spiritual muscles. So really, you can create a whole game plan, a whole, a whole uh, menu 
that parallels body care. We'll call it soul care. So just as the body has different parts, we have muscles and we have bones and we have the, the blood, our blood vessels and we have our hearts and we have a pulmonary and all the other parts of the human body. They need different type of exercises to make them stronger and more robust and more and healthier. They need different vitamins and minerals and different forms of hygiene, each one serving another part of the human body. The same is true with the soul. Its different components also need different type of behavior, different things we do. There, the difference is it's not physical, but it is equally an exercise, an equal effort to actualize the potential, whether it's in the three cognitive, the, emo- the three emotional, or the four behavioral. I want to just qualify when I said four behavioral. It's really three behavioral, with the final one, self-esteem and dignity, being almost a category of its own, but it still goes and follows the three behavioral because it's so fundamental to the very person who we are. <clears throat> and I've discussed this at length at different programs and classes. You can easily find it at MeaningfulLife.com. Here I'm focusing on the overall idea of spiritual health care. So to go back to what I was saying, so we have here a tie, and suddenly you have a map opens up of the human genome we talk about, the soul genome. That the soul too is made up of parts, and you need to get to know them. And then feed them and nourish them. So how do you nourish love? By being loving. The more loving you are, the more kind and generous you are, you're actually exercising that muscle. We'll call it that spiritual muscle called love. And the same thing with discipline. And same thing with compassion and empathy. And the same with determination and yielding and bonding and dignity. And going backwards back to the cognitive, conceiving, developing, and concluding. Concluding. So they're all part of a full picture of your soul. The more you get to know, the more you're aware, the x-ray of your soul, the more you can address it. The next step, of course, is once you get to know it, you have to distinguish between symptoms and roots. Let's just take the example I was saying about love. What happens if a person does not express kindness and love? So most people would answer, what happens is the world will be a less loving place. Children will feel deprived. Spouses will feel deprived. Others, kindness makes many ways the world go around. That there's certain benevolence, certain give and take. But there's something else that's less, people are less aware of. And that is what it does to you. What it does to those around you is pretty clear. Love is like watering the plants, watering the flowers. Love is a nourishing element. We all need love. We all need to give love. But there's something, what about you? When you don't give love, besides, when you don't receive love, we all know what the effect is. It affects our self-esteem, our self-confidence. Are we worthy? When a child receives love, it allows them to spread their wings, to feel strong, to feel validated. When there's lack of love, fear begins to seep in. But what does it happens to you when you don't give love? Not when you don't receive. 
when you don't give love, the, the muscle called love in your soul, the chesed, is deprived. It's the equivalent of not feeding your body, of not exercising your muscles. They, they can go in atrophy or worse because they're not being used. So exercising your love is actually necessary for your own welfare, not just for the welfare of others. When you give love, you actualize a part of your very being. And again, the same is with each of the attributes, each of the faculties. What happens if a person does not use their mind? I don't mean for the, everyone uses it to some extent for survival, but you don't really work hard at things. You won't really understand much. You won't be able to delve into understanding the deeper elements of any and implications of something. We all, there's something about, it's difficult, there's something about exerting your mind that helps, that helps harness and draw out potential within you. This is what education is all about. Besides the education of our personalities and character, but also simply education on a knowledge level, it's about training our minds to think in an organized way, to look deeper, to understand the cause of things, the consequences, whether whatever science, physical, social, or political science it may be, it's, a, it's an intellectual system that makes our minds healthier, more discerning, more understanding of the world around us in ways that help us become more successful. Very basic level. I'm talking about, obviously, more than just survival intellect, but intellect as far as understanding who you are, your purpose in life. Creating order, creating unity out of fragmentation. So you see, my friends, there's a whole world inside of you waiting to be released, waiting to be appreciated. And in many ways, it's easier to nourish your soul than your body. You know why? Because you don't need outside substances. Your body, you need food, you need vitamins. Here, the vitamins and the, and the minerals are all actually your own behavior, your own attitudes, your own actions. I've spoken about developing your spiritual spa. What's a spiritual spa? So we know what a spa is for the body. It's soothing, it's calming, relaxing. But a spiritual spa, spa is an acronym for study, prayer, and action. These are the three methods of exercising and developing your spiritual faculties. Study deals with the three cognitive. It's focusing, studying, studying whether it's about your soul or studying about things about your spirituality, your mission in what life, your calling. The emotional, that's cognitive conditioning, study, the three cognitive faculties. The three emotional are nourished through prayer. Prayer doesn't just mean reading a prayer. Prayer is exercising your heart. It's called the service of the heart. It's emoting. It's emoting with yourself, with your soul, with God, in, the way, in any way that you can relate to. It's developing emotional intelligence. It's developing giving, channeling that giving into a discipline, compassion and empathy. And then action, the A of SPA, study, prayer, action, that addresses 
and exercises and, and cultivates the final four behavioral ones, faculties. Determination, ambition, yielding, humility, bonding, and dignity. And what does action mean? Acting, not just feeling or thinking, not just cognitive and emotional. Acting means doing actual acts of kindness, generosity, gratitude. So ambition, you may wonder, one second, ambition is a driving force. In its, in its healthiest form, it means you're not passive. It means you're not standing on the sidelines. You're driven to get something done. But on its, the downside is if it's not balanced with the next faculty called yielding, humility, determination, and blind ambition can hurt people. Similar to how discipline balances love and giving. So with that in mind... That too needs to be cultivated. And it's actions that do that best in the third category. So what we take away from this is that there's a whole world out there, or I should say in there, waiting for you. And not being aware of it, or not acting, and not doing anything to exercise that, really hurts us. And I don't mean that in a threatening way, I mean it in a compassionate way. It means there's a part of you that needs to be fed. So you'll say, well, my life, not that bad, even though I've not fed my soul, I've not nourished it. As I mentioned before, what does bad mean? And we talk about the media right now, you can get by. Imagine how much you could accomplish if you had less darkness in your life and you had more light, if you had more confidence. If all these faculties were being expressed and their potential being actualized more than now. So it's not just about, okay, my life is working, what do I need? You know, your body can also be working. The body has plenty of resilience, even if you don't take care of it. But number one, everything comes around. So why wait? And number two, it's not actualizing your full potential. Now I know the nature of human beings is we don't react until something's going wrong. Most of us don't go for a checkup until something's bothering us. But maybe we can change some of that attitude. And I think in this climate in which we live today, COVID, I think it's, it's, it's driven many of us more inward, realizing that we're not getting our security and our, and our uh, comfort from our conventional structures and schedules. So people are far more open. We're all far more open, more vulnerable. So maybe here's a good, great time. A great time to begin a new chapter in your life. Or, if you've already begun, to take it to another level of taking care of your soul. Like taking care of a child. Give it attention. Nourish it. Nurture it. Water it. What will come back to you will be everything that you want to have in your life. People tell me, I've given up on myself. I feel down. Things are not working. I'm getting older. And the answer is, oh, your soul doesn't get older. It's waiting for you. What you're doing is resigning and surrendering to a body-like attitude to life. Start thinking soul-like. Think through the lens of your soul. 
Don't define yourself by your vehicle. Define yourself by your captain that's waiting to be expressed. Be around people that are soulful. Develop a regimen. Yes, a regimen, a daily regimen of feeding and nourishing, exercising your soul. Obviously, in a conversation like this, can't cover the entire gamut. But we at the Meaningful Life Center, this is what we're dedicated to do. Offering tailor-made exercises. And you'll be hearing from us. We'll be developing some new, interesting, and fascinating, and powerful programs as we've been doing, especially in the last seven, eight months, but obviously over the years. And we'd love to hear from you. Feedback, thoughts, questions. Create your own customized soul, spiritual self-care. And you'll be surprised and actually delighted by the results. So for more information, just check out at MeaningfulLife.com. This program is a weekly live program, which then is archived every Wednesday at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time. But as I said, it's timeless in the sense it's always available afterwards. Please take advantage of our offerings. You can find them all at MeaningfulLife.com, the schedule of events and our, and our very wide array of materials both text-based and video, audio, different lengths, fitting different needs, different audiences. Please, and uh, join us in this effort of not waiting and reacting, but being proactive, not being passive, but generating, both in our lives and those and our loved ones and those around us, a new age of spiritual revival beginning with our own personal spiritual self-care thank you so much this program is brought to you by the meaningful life center please help us continue our programs make even a small contribution at meaningfullife.com